Good morning. So, um, happy uh, and healthy Memorial Day weekend. Um, it's, a, it's an opportunity for just us not just to take an extra day off of school or work or whatever. Maybe you don't get the day off, but a holiday weekend, supposedly. The mail doesn't get delivered and all that kind of stuff. But um, we're actually an opportunity for us to remember and celebrate those men and women who um, have uh, given up their lives and large times in their lives to allow us to live in this country and, and um, enjoy the free, freedoms that we have, and that's very cool. So we're thankful for that, and um, I, I'm just glad that I live in this country and, and that God continues to bless our country in spite of us, and, uh, and um, just uh, really thankful for their service. And so I wanted to remind you of that because so often I was driving, driving in the car over here this morning and realized, uh, you know, I just kind of go through these holidays and don't pay any attention to what they are. And um, so I'm going to try to make try to thank men and women who served. Um, we're going to be, as Brent said, we're going to be, uh, well, let me do this first before we jump in. Let, let me ask you this. Um, if I were to say to you, I'm feeling really blue this morning, um, what would that mean to you? You mean, I, you, or you think I'm a smurf, right? No, what, seriously, what, if I'm feeling really blue this morning, what does that mean? You can talk back this morning. Yeah, I'm down. I'm sad. I'm, yeah. Um, and then I would say, well, his heart is as black as coal. What would that mean? It's, well, it's dark, but that means it's, he's like not a, not a good guy, right? Evil, not a good guy, right? Um, and then I would, what if I said, um, what if I said, well, she, uh, her heart is just a lily white. It would mean the complete opposite, right? Where it means he may be evil, she's just really sweet and innocent and pure. Um, if I were to say that, uh, um, well, that I, that person is, is just yellow, what does that mean? Yeah, jaundice. No, jaundice. Yeah, that person is yellow. Yeah, it's cowardly. Isn't it funny how we, uh, and who, who did this, by the way? Who in our, our society started putting colors with emotions? I, I mean, you, if you can Google it, you can find it. Don't do it now. But it's all kind of weird stuff, you know, that you can find out there. But it's funny because we use this lingo all the time. You know, uh, uh, green, you're green with what? Yeah, you knew that, right? You're green with envy, okay? So, so, and then, um, so when I was a kid, my first remembrance of associating colors with emotion was when my mother told me that I needed to behave myself because my, f- and I was only like five years old, okay? Um, but my mother told me that my father, I needed to behave myself because my father was seeing red that day. Uh, okay, you know, you, know, you know what that means, right? It doesn't mean that he's like seeing red spots or that he's stuck at a traffic light or anything like that. It, it, seeing red, it means that he's angry. Now, I didn't realize that when I was little, and so I can actually, and um, I, I found this drawing when I was going through some of my old, you know, the stuff that mothers always keep. You've got to love moms. They keep everything, right? And my mom kept this picture that I drew, and I, it was a picture of my dad, and um, a, there was a red spot out there, and it was like his eyes were looking at it, and it, and the, it said, Dad is seeing red. And, um, you know, and I, it was my remembrance of that. But, um, I, you know, and I've always remembered that, that concept of seeing red. I hardly ever use it. But the concept is that, we're, that he was angry. And angry is, um, angry is a serious problem uh, in our culture and in our lives. In fact, it's very easy for us to, to just kind of be angry people. And, and let me tell you why. Because there's always that individual that's in front of us in the passing lane who is driving or and texting or whatever they're doing, but they're, you know, today on the way here, I was running a little bit late to the first service and I was coming down Shinden and there was, the, you know, and I, tr- I was trying to drive 
honestly. The speed limit is 35 in that one section through that, you know, and I was trying to, trying to kick it right at about 40, you know, just a little under 40, head on cruise control, just I figured that whole thing, I'll be safe, I'll be over, I'll get there a little faster, about probably 30 seconds faster, but <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> um, and this woman was in the passing lane, and I had to step on my brake and get off of my cruise control, which was set at like 39.7, um, that, uh, so that, I, so, and she was just, just driving, she was driving one of those um, Kia, I think it's a Kia Soul or whatever it is, you know, one of those, the commercial that mice actually sell that car. And um, that's what I think about every time I see it. And, and she was just, her windows were down. She looked like she was in a really good day. She had a dog sitting in the passenger seat. She was drinking a Starbucks. And, and I'm thinking, does this lady not realize that my life is more important than hers? And I'm in a hurry. I mean, now that's not what I thought outwardly, but it's probably what I was thinking inwardly, right? Because all of a sudden I find my, now I didn't get angry. You know why? I wasn't going to get angry. I was going to come and talk about anger. I was really tuned into the fact that I wasn't going to get angry. So, um, but those kind of things happen. Or, or maybe you've had this experience, which I've had recently, is that you go to the express checkout line at the store and the person in front of you, you know, and it says 10 items, right? And the person in front of you has 16 items. And you know that because you counted them twice while you were waiting. And, and, and when they go through, they go through the line, and then they start chit-chatting with the, the girl behind the counter or the cashier. And, and they're like, like their family, you know, they're talking and all this kind of stuff. And you're waiting because you have your two items, and you're being right. You're staying within the boundaries that Walmart has set for you. You're in the proper lane. You believe that you should be blessed and this woman should be getting on her way and maybe she should be thrown out of that line. And you're frustrated because your time is important and obviously she's not taking that into consideration. You're important and, um, and there probably should be a special line for you at Walmart anyway or wherever it is that you shop. And, and so you're in this rush and then she does this. After it's all checked out, she gets out the checkbook, Right? And she starts to write a check, and then she deliberates with the cashier whether or not she wants cash back from this check while you're standing there with your two items. Then she writes the check. It's taken. Then she tallies her checkbook standing right there in line, all right? Uh, and you're just thinking all the time, you know, what is, and it's an opportunity for anger, okay? Uh, maybe, you know, there's that your boss doesn't give you the credit that you're due. Or even worse, when your boss takes credit for something that you did, that's extremely frustrating. And um, if that would happen to me, um, I would probably be angry. Um, I don't express anger. In fact, for the longest time, I didn't think I was an angry person because I don't yell and shout very often. It's very rarely that you hear me yell and shout and throw things. I don't do that kind of stuff. And I thought that's what angry people did. you know. Um, and I thought, well, I was, I'm, I'm not angry. I don't have that issue. It, it's interesting to me that... <clears throat> As uh, when I first came to Christ, I was 18 years old, and um, and I, I had this idea of, and I had this list of things that I knew that were sin in my life, and I needed to put that off and stop doing that. And there were things that I needed to start doing, and I and so I came to Christ. I repented of my sin. I trusted in Jesus, and it was a real deal, right? And and I thought, now if I can just get these three or four things out of my life, I'll be good. The the older you get, the and I, I shared this um, before is the older you get, the more you realize that you're not good, okay? The older you get, the more junk you realize you have. And um, over the last few weeks, months, and also in the preparation for this message, I have come to the conclusion that I'm an angry person. I don't yell, I don't shout, I don't throw things. But what I do in my anger is I tend to clam up. 
and I withhold, um, I withhold love, I withhold uh, uh, conversation, I withhold a lot of things, and, um, and that's the way that I express my anger. Uh, and um, so it depends. But we all express our anger different ways, but truthfully, um, we're probably angry people, even if we would not admit it. We live in an angry world. We live in an angry world. Everybody's angry about something. I turned on the news this morning really early, and um, there were people in, in London. They were Germans in London. Th- this angry mob at a soccer stadium. Were like, and they were running through the streets, tearing stuff up, and they're all angry. I go, what are they angry about? Like, somebody didn't score a goal? I, I, you know, what makes people go get angry like that? What makes, what makes parents come out of the bleachers and look like complete idiots at Little League games when their kid is called out and they just go ballistic and the mother's veins are standing out in her neck and her face is red and hair is everywhere and she's right there and spittle's coming out of her mouth at this umpire because she called because he called her little boy out at home plate what's what's really the issue there i mean seriously um you know uh we live in this angry world not only in sports but in in the uh like in in the business world. I mean, there are angry investors. Uh, people are angry about uh, just weird. You know, and I was just this week, um, really, I don't get it. What makes people do this? What makes two guys in London take knives and a, a hatchet or whatever they had and just go out and just in public for absolutely no reason other than this guy was a, a soldier, just go kill this guy and chop him into pieces right in public? I mean, what in the world? What may, I mean, they might, you know, Obviously, they didn't get their coffee. I mean, seriously, you know, you think you, that's what would make seri- what would make people that angry that they would do that? What does that kind of stuff? What makes us yell at people? What makes us withhold our love? What what is it? Why are we so angry? And why do we live in such an angry world? Now, you know, if you want to really get down to brass tacks, though, when you look at anger, anger is probably expressed most vividly in our families. You know. You're angry at your mom and dad. Your mom and dad are angry at you. You're angry at your spouse. Your spouse is angry at you. In fact, um, it's funny to me that the people that we love most are oftentimes the ones that are the biggest recipients of our, our um, anger, um, and at least our outward anger, uh, because you know we're, we'll certainly put them in their place and we'll tell them how we're feeling and we'll tell them what they're not doing and, and all those things. And um, and we uh, express anger toward our families. And, and you know, there, there, are, there are a lot of angry families. And uh, I, f- I was a pastor for a while, and I worked with students for many, many years. And it's amazing to me how many people have been scarred for all their lives, deep down inside, because they were brought up in an angry home. They had, an angry, had angry parents or they had angry siblings, and you know, they still do. And it just, it just messes people up. You know, not only is it true that we live in an angry world and there's all kinds of opportunity for anger in our, in our families, we demonstrate anger, but even, um, it's even true, we, th- th- there's a lot of anger in churches. Now, there's no anger in this church because we all love each other and we hold hands and sing kumbaya. But the truth is, is that we're real people, right? And, and real people carry real baggage. And, and uh, when I was a pastor, I was a pastor for five years. I was a lead pastor in a church. And I can remember standing in my office going, what? I did not sign up for this. I did not sign up for this, that people that were so angry, adults that were so angry and, and hateful toward each other and saying, and I was like, what in the world? 
what, what is it, God? And I can remember, what is it, God, that, it, that makes people this angry with each other in the church? I mean, how many people have, do you know that would tell you that the reason that they don't go to church is because they had a really bad experience, right, in a church? Um, maybe, but most of it is they talk about hypocrisy, right? Oh, the church is so, there's so much hypocrisy in the church. A large majority of that hypocrisy is the anger and hostility toward other people. Um, or toward other people that think differently than the church does. And people, and people are going, I'm not, I don't want to put myself in that environment. Why would I do that? I worked really hard to get out of it. I'm not going back to that. Um, because we don't like to be in those environments. And yet our world is jam-packed full of anger. Um, so, so, what, um, so we know that anger is out there. And we also know that anger is very serious. And uh, so with that in mind, I'd like for us to turn our attention to Matthew um, chapter 5. And I'm going to read, some t- read the text to you this morning. Um, and then we're going to go to Romans, and then we're going to go to Colossians as well, just to focus, and I'll take you there. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21, it says this, and this is Jesus' words. He's in the Sermon on the Mount. He's already finished the Beatitudes. He's already talked some, about a couple other issues um, that he wants to focus on in this incredible message. And he turns his attention now um, to this, And he says, you have heard that it was said, verse 21 of Matthew 5, that to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And then in Romans chapter 12, The Apostle Paul writes and tells us this in verse 17 um, through 21. He says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then in Colossians chapter 3, Paul again says this, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then drop down to verse 5. In the same um, chapter of Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Then verse 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We know, that, we know that anger is serious stuff. The reason we know it's serious stuff is because God tells us so. 
He tells us straight out. Jesus says that, and we read it, you know, that if, uh, if you're angry, it, you, it's like murder. I mean, the Father in heaven sees it like murder. So being angry is, is not some little thing. It's a big deal to God. He says, um, so when we're angry, it's like murder. The, uh, um, the apostle Paul tells us this. He says that, uh, he says, be an angry spirit. We just read it in Colossians. He says an angry spirit um, is like the spirit of those who are outside the body of Christ. He says they're like people who aren't even believers. If you have an angry spirit, that is a demonstration that you do not belong to Jesus. You have not experienced the redemption and the forgiveness of Christ. And that's his words to us, to you, to me. Um, the, uh, the writer of Proverbs talks about how serious it is in relationships. And he says this, he says, it is better for you to live in a desert than it is to live with an angry spouse. It is, and he's not talking about like the desert, like high desert boys, the Idaho. He's talking about like the desert desert, okay? Like go eat sand, live with scorpions, find your shade under a cacti. That, it's better to do that than to live in a house where there's anger. And, um, and so it's serious stuff. And um, so this morning I want us to take a few minutes and talk about how it is that we control anger and not let it control us. In fact, how it is that we get rid of anger and live the life that God would call us to live as followers of Jesus. Now, there is value in anger. I just got through telling you all the bad things about anger, but not all anger is bad. It's not. And the reason that we know this is because if you read the Bible over and over and over again, you will find that one of the main characters of the Bible often is angry. And who would that be? Well, you could say Jesus. That's true. And who else? Yeah, Yahweh, God. God spends a lot of time in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament being ticked off being extremely angry. The Bible tells us that God gets angry. It talks about the fact that his anger burned toward his people. His anger burned toward the enemies of his people. It says this, that God is slow to anger, but that means he gets angry. And when he gets angry, he is angry. It would be a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Jonathan Edwards wrote a sermon and preached that sermon and it changed literally hundreds of people's lives and is still famous today, understanding the wrath of God, the wrath of God. Now, this is important for us to know. Um, And this is why, let me just back up. This is why God gets angry, okay? Because anger is always, listen, this is important for us to grasp. Anger is always an outgrowth of love. Anger is always a result of love because when that which you love is attacked, you get angry. Does that make sense? And the reason God gets angry is because God loves much. In fact, God is love. And when that which God loves is attacked, he gets angry. So when his creation is attacked, when his people are attacked, when he sees injustice, when he sees lack of mercy, when he sees those things, it causes God to become angry. And that's called righteous anger. God has righteous anger. It is not sin because it is based in love. It is based in love. And God's anger is such that we, we see it. You, when we talked about <clears throat> who gets angry in the Bible, the first thing people said was Jesus. Why? Because when Jesus was in the temple, remember that? 
What did he do? He took enough time. He was ticked. He took enough time to make a whip. He didn't like go buy one or just snag one from somebody. He made a whip, it says. And then he went into the outer court, and he started kicking over tables and chasing off the people and chasing the animals out of there. And what was his word? He said, how dare you turn my father's house into what? A marketplace, right? Do you know what the outer court was for? The, the temple was set up for the people of Israel, and the people of Israel came to worship God, and they could go into the temple and worship God. The outer court was, for, was set aside for Gentiles, those people that weren't of Jewish descent, so that they could come into the temple if they wanted and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the people of Israel and the people that were selling that stuff at, in that at, the, um, at that court at that time had turned that whole area into a marketplace. And the reason that Jesus got mad is because he understood what was going on. He said, these people don't care about the rest of the world. This is all about profit. This is all about them making money for the Jewish people and for their little deal. And they've turned the outer court, which has been set aside specifically for non-Jewish people to come and experience Yahweh, they've turned it into a marketplace and it burned him. He said, you do not care about the world. You do not care about people. You do not care about the things that God cares about. Because God cares about people, and you don't. And that's what made Jesus so upset. When Jesus got angry at the Pharisees, what did he say? He said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He said, you stink. And why did he say that? Because the Pharisees were spending all of their time telling the people of Israel, the people that God loved, falsehoods about how it is that they could become right with God. They made all these rules and all these regulations. They held themselves up and said, if you can jump high enough, if you can be as perfect as us, then God will be pleased with you because after all, he loves us. And he doesn't love you. And every time that they would, people would try to achieve that, they would put them down. And Jesus was so upset with them because they were, they were for all practical purposes, twisting and distorting the truth of the redemptive work of God. The Pharisees said, be good. Be as good. Be perfect like we're perfect. And Jesus said, no, that's not it. And what you're doing is you're, you guys are children of Satan, and you're trying to make other people more than a child of Satan than you are. That's basically what he said. And it burned him. He got mad. God got mad. And why did Jesus get mad? Why does the Father get mad? Because they love, and they love greatly. And when you love greatly, when that which you love is threatened, you get angry. Does that make sense? All right? So here's the deal. What makes God angry? I'll tell you what makes God angry, at least from my understanding of the Scriptures. Injustice makes God angry. Bren, earlier, before, um, when he prayed, before he prayed, he said he prayed for the guys that are down in the, in the Philippines, and he talked about how it made him angry to see what was going on. That, that injustice, that that mistreatment of those girls and being driven into say, uh, um, sex trade, and that, that burns God up, and that ought to burn us up too. I tell you what else ought to burn us up is that when, when we see the name of God and we see God's glory mocked and ridiculed, you know, there are a lot of comedians that do it. I mean, I, I, I have XMT, XM radio on my car. It's about ready to go up because I'm not going to pay for it. You know, you get that one year they try to hook you. I'm hooked too, by the way. Um, I'm getting cold sweats thinking it's going away. But, um, uh, but sometimes I, I, I get tired of listening to, um, listening to like news talk radio and the channels that I pick, you know, that I like. And I was flipping through it and I, I went to this channel, I think it's called Laughs or something like that. Um, anyway, it's a comedy channel. 
And I was listening, and there was a couple guys on there that were pretty funny, and then this one guy came on, and his whole deal was he was making fun of the church, and he was making fun of God. And I got to tell you, I was, I was mad. My daughter and I were watching TV the other day, and, um, about a week and a half ago, and she said, look, how, look at these guys, they're poking fun at Christianity, they're poking fun at, at godliness. And, you know, and that, should, that, should get us, that should make us upset. I tell you, what else should make us upset is when, that when, that not when just young teenage girls are abused, but when children are abused, then that should, that should burn us. Or when children are murdered, like through abortion. You know, it's become such a commonplace in America that, do you believe that, that there are people, I, I was listening to the news, there are people still that think that this guy that's up wherever he is, this abortion doctor that's been in the news forever, because maybe you don't watch the news and you may not be aware of this, there's a doctor who, who was performing late-term abortions and babies were being born alive. They were coming, they were, when they were born after the abortion, the abortion was about, the babies were born, they were, they were crying. They were set to the side and crying, and he took a pair of scissors and went over and snipped their spinal cords and killed them. And there were people going, well, it was an abortion. And we go, well, that's terrible. I was listening to um, the news on my XM radio, and I heard this one newscaster who was, uh, who was actually interviewing the lawyer of that doctor, who was, by the way, convicted of murder. And people are like, why should he be convicted of murder? Are you kidding me? And she was so, he was like trying to make excuses. Well, you know, it's not always like, and she goes, are you kidding me? He murdered, and she used that word, he murdered, telling me that taking scissors and snipping baby's spinal cords is not, you know, she goes, she was just indignant, and I was like totally blown away. I, I almost applauded. Finally, somebody's got, got what it takes. Watch your mouth. They got what it takes. <laughs> to, to say something and show some righteous yeah, anger. There it came out. Show some righteous anger. You know what? We, we hear, listen, we hear that stuff. We hear that stuff and we go, man, that makes me mad. Righteous anger moves people to action. Now, it doesn't mean that we like burn down abortion clinics. It doesn't mean that we, it doesn't produce sin. Righteous anger produces humility and love and speaking that truth in love, but it produces action. And when we see injustice and when we see children being abused and when we see all these things that are going on, we see the name of God mocked, we get mad and maybe we get mad for maybe, you know, seven, ten minutes, right? But I'll tell you something. When your spouse makes you wait 10 minutes and she's going to make you late or he's going to make you late, you get mad. And not only do you get mad, but you do something about it, right? You put them in their place. You let them know how they messed up your schedule, how they're making you look bad, how they've thrown everything out of whack, right? When your kids mess up or when your parents mess up, okay, you are sure to point that out to them, right? When they, because they have, here's why, here's why that happens. Because what, listen to this, what is it that the root of, ang, what is the root of anger? It's love, right? And when you love something, when that something is violated, you get angry. Do you know why? You get angry when things don't go your way because you love you. 
Congratulations. You know why I get angry when things don't go my way? Because I love me. And I have become the center of my universe. It's about me. And you know what? I can tell that and say that here knowing that for a lot of us, no, for all of us, if we let it, we can easily become the center of our universe. Here's why. This is where, this is where anger stems from. This is where anger stems from, unrighteous anger. You have righteous anger, which is the anger of God, which is God's anger against that, those things or those people or those individuals or those circumstances that attack the things that he loves, which is us and people and righteousness. And then you have unrighteous anger. Unrighteous anger is anger that comes when we're attacked or when our rights are violated. You know where that's based in? It's based way back in the garden. This is what happened. When God created Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden. They were in perfect relationship with him. Perfect. It was awesome. They walked with God. They talked with him. How cool is that? They were there. They knew that they loved, they, they, they knew that he loved them. They knew that they could communicate with him. They could ask him whatever they wanted. They felt loved. They felt, they felt accepted. And there was no anger in the garden. And then Satan came and lied to them. He said this, Adam and Eve, you, you don't get it. God really doesn't want the best for you. He's kind of holding you back. In fact, you could be like God. You could be God. You could be just like him. Why worship him? Why give yourself to him? You could be him. All you have to do is obey, disobey him, and they did. They believed the lie. And instantaneously, the, that perfect relationship that they had with God was separated separated. They no longer had that relationship which gave them their self-worth. And all of a sudden there was a big empty void which all of us have from that time on inside of our hearts. And that void is, is an emptiness, an emptiness for understanding who we are, an emptiness in, in self-worth, an emptiness in identity, and so what we've done since that time, since Adam and Eve, is that we have developed strategies for ourselves to find significance in this life. Am I making sense? Just give me a nod or something. Tell me no. Okay. All right. Because this is, this, is this is important for us to grasp. Once the fall came, we were separated from God, and we have an emptiness. And that emptiness, we tried to fill it up with stuff to make us feel significant because the original fall was us wanting to be like God and since that time we want to be God we do that's why our world's all about us that's why when you look at people you go how can they be so selfish you know how can they be so selfish it's all about them and you know why because they've developed a strategy to fill that void in their life that would make them feel good so we develop all kinds of strategies we say things like this we say I will feel good about myself, and I'll be significant if I'm successful at work, if I'm the number one go-to person, right? So we work really, really hard to be successful at work. And, and we're really, really angry when someone comes between us and what we're trying to achieve at work, like a coworker who outshines us, you know? They do something better than us. We don't go, oh, that's beautiful. I'm so proud of them. I'm so glad things went. We go, what the heck? I could have thought of that. Or I did think of that. 
or our boss doesn't give us the raise that we deserve, right? We go, what's his deal? Um, or we, we, try to find, um, we try to find a strategy for filling our self-worth through um, maybe our families, you know? Um, we have kids, and the kids are beautiful, and we're, we're thankful, and after all, we're blessed because, you know, everything's gone our way, and our kids are, don't seem to have any real issues, and then all of a sudden they start to grow up, and we realize they got issues because they grew up with us. And, um, and so... Uh, and then, you, you know, and you, so you're trying to find your self-worth in your, in your family. Remember we talked about that lady that is screaming at the, at the uh, umpire? You know why she's screaming at the umpire? What the deal is? The deal is this. Is she, it's not about whether little Johnny is out. He, Johnny would, would just quietly go to the dugout. He would. But she's down there, veins popping out of her neck, spittle coming out of her mouth at some guy who's 25 years old and getting paid $7.50 to umpire a game. Because she has determined that who she is is based upon little Johnny's success. And if Johnny's not safe, she's not safe. And if he's not going to become a superstar, and if everything's not perfect for him, her life is not good and her significance is lacking. Maybe it's the fact that you're going to do really well in school. You're going to perform in school. You're going to become salutatory. You're going to do whatever it is that you're going to do so you can get this out of it. And, and things don't go, that, go one way and a professor fails you or you mess some, something and people didn't, whatever, it could, and that falls apart, then your significance is shot. We, we try to find significance in stuff, in stuff. I, I told the first service, in, um, you know, when, when you get your first, when you're renting an apartment, you know, <clears throat> you're just glad it's an apartment and you don't really care. You'll, you'll tack stuff up on the walls and, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you, you don't want to destroy the place, but you don't really care because you're not there. Then you buy your own house, right? I remember we got our first house. And um, we got our first house, and it was like 1,400 square foot, maybe 15, I don't really remember. And it was like, ah, this is our house. And all of a sudden, I cared about my yard. What is up with that? I became one of those guys instantaneously that's out there cutting the yard, caring about the yard. And you guys will all do this, by the way. Um, if you don't, you will. And you, you begin to care about your yard. And then, then we got another house. And my wife and I, we moved the, the, the furniture into our new house. It was 2,100 square foot and had a pool. We, we were like in a mansion. And um, we dropped the, the couch in the middle of the room. I can, sit on the, I can remember sitting on the couch with Robin. And she said to me going, what are we doing in this big house? Um, my house is twice that big now. <laughs> All right? And the question is, what are we doing in that big house? I, you know, and, and I, I begin to wonder, you know, because we think I got a nice house, and then I, but I see other houses that are like right around the corner from mine. I go, that's a nicer house. And something in my head and my heart, because of my who I messed up, right? All of a sudden, I'm thinking I need a better house. I, I got a brand new car, and then somebody else is getting another car. And I need a different. I mean, and maybe you don't do this with houses and cars, but you do it with something. We're all trying. Listen. Apart from Christ, and even in Christ, we still continue to find our try to find our significance in something else. It's part of our sin nature. And here's the deal. When something comes against us trying to find our significance, and something blocks that, or someone, it results in anger. And it gets really demanding. Our anger gets really demanding, doesn't it? We begin to demand things of our spouse. You need to do this. Um, we demand things of our children. In fact, we want them to be holy, right? Especially when it comes to going, I mean, I'm looking around the crowd and very few of you, you got little kids. So, but when your kids get older, you start going, um, if you have kids at all. But you, you, you want your kids to like perform, right? You want them to perform. So do you, uh, 
at church anyway. You want them to do the right thing. You want them to look good at church. You don't want them to, you know, mess up at church. And so there's all this stuff. And why do you want them to do that? Because it's a, re- it's a, it's a reflection of you. And people might think bad of you, and that will mess up your self-esteem and how you're trying to find your significance. And it, it just, it's just this vicious circle. We begin to demand things of God, too. We say things like this. God, um, uh, we would never, let me back up. We would never say it like this. but We've det- we make a plan in our minds of what's going to make it significant, and then we go to God. My, I have a famous statement, which is true. I, I have gone to God numerous times with the perfect blueprint of my life, all right, and said, here it is, make it happen. And God always shreds it up and throws it back at me. And I'm going, you, and so I rewrite it and give it back to him because he's obviously not getting it, right? But I go to God and I'm demanding, I go, what is your deal? And we do this. What is your deal, God? I mean, how many times have I been asking you for this and you haven't come through? Who do I think I am? Who do I think I am that I can go to God and say, here, this is what I want, give it to me. And if he doesn't give it to me, I get frustrated and angry with him. I mean, I want this. He doesn't give it. I want this. What am I even talking to you for? Honestly. I mean, maybe you've never felt that way. I'm just being really honest. What am I even talking to you for, God? You obviously aren't paying attention. You're not coming through for me. Who do I think I am? Better yet, what do I think I am? I'll tell you what I think I am. I think I'm God. I become my God. My little world, I'm trying to fill up my life with stuff in ways that I think will make me significant, which with, with things that will make me feel good about myself. And when my wife comes against that, when my wife questions my ability or questions my skills or questions my decisions, you know, I, I get angry because she's attacking my significance. When my kids don't perform the way that I want them to do, to perform the way I want them to, I get angry. Why am I getting angry? I'm getting angry because they are tearing away at what I have become to make, become to be focused upon as my significance. And they're not filling my needs. And when that which I love is attacked, I get angry. And in and of myself, I love myself a whole lot. And in of yourselves, you love yourselves a whole lot too. Because I know that I'm no different than I wished I was, but I'm no different than any of us. Because since the fall, we have been seeking to fill that void with something other than God. And we would even say, we would even say that the God, you know, we've trusted in you and we believed in you. And and we and as Christians, a lot of times we follow God so that we can get what we want from God. And that's terrible stuff. So what's the cure? What's the cure for our significance? What's the cure for filling up this void? What's the cure for not being angry people? The cure is this, is to get rid of our orphan mentality. We, since the fall of mankind, have the greatest inclination in and of ourselves to think we're all by ourselves. That we're by ourselves, we're left alone. Sure, God loves us, but for so often that's so hard for us to grasp, is it not? 
that he cares for us and he loves us and he wants the best for us. Here is the cure for anger. Repent. Repent and believe. Repent of your sin of selfishness like I need to repent of mine and believe that God loves you. God loves you. Choke up a little bit because I hear myself say that. And that's tough for me to believe. But it's the truth. And unless I rest in that, in the fact that God loves me, and I'm significant not because of what I do or where I live or what kind of car I drive or if I make this kind of money or that, or I'm significant because people love me and think I'm this. and th- I'm significant not because of that, but because the creator of the universe loves me and loves you. And until we find our significance in that, when people come against our false perceptions and those, those inclinations and those strategies that we have for trying to make ourselves look good and feel good about ourselves, we will get angry. But when we rest in the fact that we're loved by the Father, then what does it matter if someone doesn't like the way that you make something? What does it matter what kind of car you drive? What, kind of, what does it matter where you live? Your significance is not in those things. Your significance is in the fact that you're redeemed, that you're loved, that you're forgiven, that you're secure. I have a friend named Ray. He's a pastor, and he tells a story of this woman in his church. She was 27 or 28, and she, um, she adopted a little special needs kid. The kid was four years old when, when he, was a, she, he was adopted by this lady. This lady was single, single mom, and she adopted this. And, this, and he wasn't special needs because of any physical ailment, but because of emotional ailments, because um, his entire four years of his life, he had been abused and treated illy, um, very poorly, and, uh, and just bad all the way around, and had some real issues. And when she adopted him, they, they found out that this little boy would just go into fits of rage. He would throw, start throwing stuff and screaming and ripping his clothes off and, and, and sla- you know, hitting himself and clawing himself and throw himself on the floor. He's just like psycho crazy. And, and the only thing the woman could do was that she would, she would go and she would like lay on the little boy. She would just lay on him and hold him down so he couldn't hurt himself. And he would scream and he would fight and she would just put all of her pressure and weight on him. She would just pull him down. And the entire time that, that he was screaming and yelling and she was laying on top of him, she would say, I want you to know that I love you. That I will never leave you. You are mine. 
you are safe. She would speak these words to him until he calmed down. And she would continue to speak those words to him until he got it. We're loved. We're forgiven. We belong to God. Our significance is in him. Wouldn't it be awesome if we realized that and we would give up the anger, that unrighteous anger, and we would begin to experience the anger that we ought to experience, righteous anger, that anger that, that God feels. When not we as individuals are attacked, but when the holiness and the righteousness of God in, is attacked and when justice is attacked, it can be done. Paul tells us that that's who we're supposed to be. That's who we are. We're to put off the old and put on the new. But that only happens when we, listen, we repent and we believe. Because when we believe, we can let go in love. And that's the truth. And I need that. You need that. And it's ours because we've been loved by the Father. We've been forgiven because of Jesus. And the Spirit of God lives in us, empowering us to understand who it is we really are. Don't live as orphans. Live as who you are. Child of the King, let's pray. God, thanks for your word. And I pray that you would teach us to deal with anger as we ought. That we would repent of sin and that we would believe. That we would believe that we are accepted and loved and forgiven. And that we are worthy because we belong to you. Father, help us to find our significance in you and in you alone. And in so doing, would you cause us to, to have the heart, the heart of Jesus? And that we would start using our anger for things that anger you, rather than all of this selfish stuff. And I pray these things for us, because I know it's what you want for us. And so I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.